As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So get used to my accent. So talking about accents, I got to spend a couple of days in Cambridge with my, my grandchildren, daughter and son-in-law, Charlie and Millie. Uh, he's a five-year-old. He's, he's got a plummy accent. And he said to me, we were praying last night, and people from Northern Ireland say, amen, amen. And he says, Papa, Papa. In England, we say, amen. <laughs> and he said, and he said because if you say amen in Cambridge, people will know that you're Irish. And they don't like Irish people over here. And I said, it's only the start of it, son. You don't know the half of it. <laughs> About five months ago, six months ago, he's five. He came in and he said, Mommy, God has spoken to me for the first time. She said, well, what did he say? He said, I was singing my hymns of praise to God while bouncing on my trampoline. And he said, God spoke to me. She said, well, what did he say? And he said, God said, bravo. <laughs> you kind of go, what on earth? Where did that come from? But I thought to myself, you know, if that's the first thing that God says to you in life, 
It's a pretty good start, isn't it? Well done. Come on. You know, it's an American parlance. It's way to go. And actually, it's a great segue into our passage because that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's encouraging them to keep on doing it, keep on living for God. In fact, he says it twice, more and more, more and more. So coming to the end of his letter, he wants to urge them to go from victory to victory. It's a, I suppose it's a sense of, and, and I think we catch something of it, that there are no secret shortcuts to living for God. So Paul's saying to him, you started like this, keep on going, keep on rooting. It's a lifelong relationship. And he reminds him of his previous teaching. I, I love it when Paul writes to him in this particular passage. He emphasizes when you get into it, there are incredible truths that are both explicit and implicit. And as you read into it, you see, you see the order in which he writes. He gets this, this sense of not only telling them how to live or what to live, but it, you get this sense of the roots. He puts something in. He reminds them of their roots again. And from that root, we begin to live for God in a new way. The first point I want to make out uh, and, uh, is the idea of the unstoppable honor of calling and identity. Now, it's implicit here. And when you go to verse 7, he says this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So it's the idea of God's call upon our life. And with a call, of course, there comes an identity. It's what we're called to, and when you're called to something, it changes the focus of your life. It changes the focus of your behavior. And it's the order is, is, is really important. You'll always notice in, in Paul's writings, he doesn't, he doesn't start by saying, you need to do this and this and this. He always, almost invariably starts with who we are now because we are Christians. Our new identity and our call in God is something that is so remarkable that it calls us to live for God in a new way. The order is so important. It's so important that we get this right. And so our calling results in a new focus and in a new way of living our lives. And that's why he talks about our call in God. You used to live like this, but now he says you're called to live like that. You're not what you used to be. You're now something different. There's a great story of someone who's in something for many years. A man has been in the army for 30 years. His life is conditioned. Every morning he gets the reveille and he's up at seven o'clock, six o'clock. You know, his life is organized. Everything is regimented. He does what he's told. He almost does it automatically. It just, it's just, he's a soldier. That's the way he lives. That, he lives his life out of being a soldier. He's told what to do, go here, go there, etc. But the day comes for his discharge. Gets his papers, packs his bags, puts the uniform uh, away. Suddenly he's in civilian life. He's out by the gates of the, the camp. He's standing at a bus stop. and uh, There's a bus coming along, but the sergeant major says, I'm going to play a trick on him. So he goes, attention, immediately snaps to attention. Right turn, he turns right, and away he goes. He's off down there, a couple of, mi couple of minutes. There. He goes, hold on a second. I used to be a soldier. That was my identity. I had to do what I was told to do, but I'm not that any longer. I don't have to live like that. I need to live out of my new identity of being a civilian. And that's an incredible picture of what it is to be a Christian. We used to live like that. There's things we used to do. We pleased ourselves. We lived in a way that dishonored God. But suddenly we've got a new calling. We belong to Jesus. I am a child of God. I am a son of the King. 
And because of that identity, I want to live in a different way. Something that God has put in us in this incredible mystical union with Christ, we are joined to Him. We are connected with Christ that identifies us as children of God and part of the body of Christ. And as a result of that, something changes. We don't become different people overnight, but something has changed in our hearts and in our lives. Our call is different. It's really important to be sure of your call, to know who you are, because that, it's from that basis that springs your behavior. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians live their life and they kind of wake up in the morning and they go, you know something, if I do well today, in other words, if I behave today, maybe God will love me. But of course, it doesn't work like that. You've got you to reverse the order and go, because I am a child of God, because I'm loved by God, because God has put a stamp on me and I am in Christ, I'm going to live differently today. It's a completely different order and the motivation is completely different. And so it's important that today we establish, for before we get into behavior, what that looks like in, work, in your own personal life and work, you've got to settle this issue. Am I in Christ? Am I connected to Christ? Am I sure of my identity? Wouldn't it be incredible if some people today got that, maybe for the first time, you know something, I want to be in Christ. I don't understand everything, but I want, to, I want to take my stand and I want to be in Christ. I want to trust Him and be found in Christ. If you're a Christian today, you want to make that call sure. You want to say, Lord, I, I want to say today, I am a child of God. The second thing, of course, is the unstoppable honor of our source for living. And Paul, in verses 1 and 2, he mentions the name of the person with who, in whom not only we are rooted, but in whom we continue this relationship. And it's, you, I urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then again, he mentions the Lord Jesus on two occasions here in the first two verses. And the idea is this, they began with Christ. They have a new identity in Christ. Now, you don't suddenly start changing your life around by doing something new. You started in Christ, continue with Christ. So what does that mean? That means that we begin to talk to him. We begin to, we begin to um, I suppose the old-fashioned word is meditate on Christ. We read the Word of God to discover what, what God was like in Christ. And we, we begin to say, I want to develop a daily relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. The Gnostics of the day taught that there was, a, they, there was such a thing as secret revelation. And sometimes we get that today. You know, you buy a book, The Ten Secrets to a Holy Life, The Ten Keys to This, and they may be really helpful. But of course, there is, not, there is nothing, uh, there's, there is no yet as yet undiscovered way of living for God, which makes it easy. It's simple. Paul says, your callings in Christ, you started with him. Now he says, continue with Christ. And out of that foundation, something begins to change. I've got a, a great friend, and he's got an orchard in, southern, uh, in, in South Armagh, and it grows uh, Bramley apples. And come August, September, you walk around, you smell the, the, the fruit, it's just fine. And I said to him one day, just a casual remark, Leslie, what makes a good apple? How do you get good apples? And he said this to me, I never forgot it. He said, Paul, take care of the tree and the apple will take care of itself. And I thought, you know, being a preacher, I went, that sounds like something I could use in the future. So I got a wee notebook out and I wrote it down. I said, well, explain it. He says, look, he said, if I keep the insects off it, 
and a mixture it's watered and fed and I, and I cut off the dead branches at the end of the year. He said, I don't worry about the fruit. I worry about the tree. I worry about its roots and its, its nourishment. And he said, at the, end of the, at the end of the summer, he says, Paul, you get great fruit. And I thought, what an incredible picture of the Christian life. See, we, we kind of start off with here, I must be a better person. I must live for God. I need to stop this. I need to start that. But actually, if you take care of the tree, your relationship with the Lord, cut the dead branches off, make sure there's no insects in your floating around, make sure it's watered and fed. In other words, you spend time cultivating a relationship with God. And out of that, what happens? Fruit comes. That the order is really important. The order is so important. Your calling in Christ, your developmental uh, relationship with Christ, and something begins to change. The order is vital. No relationship can flourish in an atmosphere of disapproval. Once you settle that you are loved by God, you're in Christ, you're connected to Christ, you're developing your relationship with Christ, something begins to develop out of that. You cannot have a cloud hanging over you. Today, you know something? If we never had a, if we, if we stopped right here, it would be the most important thing to say to you. Remember who you belong to and who you're continuing with, Christ himself. And then he goes to the honor of unstoppable power. I love this verse three. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart for God's use. And then in verse eight, he says this here. Therefore, if anybody rejects this instruction, does not reject a human being, but God, this very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So the honor of unstoppable power. So you know who you are in Christ. You're developing a relationship with Christ. How does it work? You know, because out of that comes, comes the way that you live your life. Well, first of all, Paul makes it clear, it is the will of God. Now, I love this because sometimes God's so, you know, Holy Spirit's such a gentleman. We kind of think it's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an invitation. You know, it goes something like this. Look, look God's making a, a suggestion. Now, it's only a suggestion, but I wonder if, you, you know, if it suits you and it suits your lifestyle and doesn't cause you any inconvenience and there's, there's no way that you'll have to sacrifice anything, would you possibly consider living in a slightly different way? Now, listen, if it's causing you a problem, don't worry about it. Sometimes we think that's what God says, but Paul makes it clear, this is the will of God. Because we, we, think, we think it's an invitation, but actually, it's actually a command kind of go, oh, I, I got arrested in 1972 for murder and attempted murder. No, I, I was not guilty. Okay, I just want to make that clear. But I, I really was. I was posting a letter in the uh, GPO in Belfast in the, in the day, and uh, I felt a poke in my back. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Turned around, there were six uh, soldiers, and they had Sterling submachine guns pointed at me. And he said to me, you're under arrest, Special Powers Act, Section C, be, be, you know, uh, and I said, well, what's the charge? He said, uh, it's a murder and attempted murder. I said, uh, oh, I said, you're joking. I knew both their faces, they weren't joking. But it was a kind of a, you know, initial sort of nervous response. And then he did this, they were English, English guys, they're all, you know, 18, 19 year olds. But he did this most incredibly English thing. Now they're all pointing to the guns department and he said this here, would you mind coming with me? And you kind of think, I, it sounded as if I could have said, I don't think I'll bother actually. <laughs> Do you understand? But it wasn't an invitation. It was a command. And actually that's, that's what you get here. Paul says, look, having, I'm, I'm going to go over it. Rooted in Christ, calling identity, child of God, develop my relationship with Christ. Now, 
God says, I want you to live in a different way. And having established that, it's very clear. He gives clear instructions as to what not to do and what to do. Now, it's not, please, let's, let's get the, this is not a new list of Christian Ten Commandments or anything like that. It, they are evidence of the Spirit-filled life. What do you mean? Well, I think when God says, I want you to do this, he gives you everything you need that will enable you to do it. So he doesn't say, grit your teeth, it's willpower. He says, first of all, it's my will that you live this way, a different life. You used to be that, but now you've got to do something different. How do you do it? With the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells them this. And I think there's something very powerful here because what happens is this. Rick Warren says in one of his books, it is not imitation of Christ. We don't say, what would Jesus do? It is habitation, Christ living within us. But we have to choose to do the right thing. God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit once you make the choice. So you have to engage your will with God. You have to say, Lord, I want to live this way. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I don't have to anymore, but I'm going to choose to live in a way that will honor you. And what happens? The Holy Spirit then comes, comes and empowers us to uh, carry out the decision that we've made. So the Holy Spirit releases his power the moment you take a step of faith. For instance, you, you, once you make a choice to forgive someone, God gives you the power to do it. It may not be easy, but you're not left on your own. Obedience unlocks the power of God. Obedience unlocks the power of God. I was in France for a holiday uh, many years ago and I was backing out of a parking spot and uh, I, there was a man putting his child baby into a baby seat. And I went too close to him, hit him on the backside, and the baby flew out the other door. Not good. Now, needless to say, he was English and he wasn't happy, okay? And uh, he saw the Irish sticker on my car, and he called me an Irish something, but I'll not even go there. And he was, it was fight time. Honestly, it was going to be a punch-up. And I just remembered, there's a verse in the Bible that says this, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I thought, I just instantly said, Lord, help me here. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. It was entirely my fault. I'll pay for any damage, anything for your child. I, I will, honestly, I'm so sorry. And he went, I'll forget about it, mate. I went, oh yeah, this Christian stuff works. I should have tried this prayer thing a long time ago. You know, there's something about engaging your will. I'm going to do this. And God then coming alongside and empowering the words that you've used. So there's something happens. Maybe you're waiting. You know, sometimes you wait for a victory in a particular area in your life. But remember, nothing is automatic in the Christian life. You have to... You have to change yourself. Something happens, actively change. We're told eight times in the New Testament, make every effort in our growth towards becoming like Christ. But you have to want to change. And when that happens, it's not willpower. You make a decision, Lord, I don't want to get into this situation. I don't want to do this here. And once you decide you don't, God's power comes along and enables you to do what you've already decided to do. So there's something very powerful about Paul putting the order in this way. He shows them how to do it. And then we come to the honor of unstoppable living. Why do we actually do it? And you, you get it here uh, in the verses, verse one uh, and uh, verse three to verse eight. But he says this here, it is, not only is it God's will, but he says this, he says, um, there we go. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 
Okay, and then he says, then he says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The idea is, why are we to do this? In order to please God. There's no doubt, when you, when you have an experience of the resurrected Christ and he changes your life, things begin to change. It's, we call it, in, in theological terms, progressive sanctification. We are daily being conformed and changed into the image of Christ. So we're not perfect, but we are, we are making progress. We're submitting our lives to God. And why do we do that? In order to please God. In order to live in a way that honors God. In fact, when you, when you get the... Uh, into the Corinthians, and Paul uh, is writing them, He's, he actually uses this word. He says, honor God with your bodies. Why? What's the reason? Because it'll make life seem a little better. It certainly does. That you'll unbroken fellowship with God. That's absolutely true. But he says this, uh, the reason to do it is because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he uses that, that word that describes the holy place of all in the temple. God himself is dwelling within you. And in that context, the prime reason for abstaining from immoral, immoral living is this, that you are indwelt by the eternal, all-powerful, all-loving God. He lives within you. Therefore, in light of that, keep your body clean. Keep your body clean. Now, I, I, honestly, I'm gonna address this today again. I think it's really important. There are inevitable consequences of behavior which, which dishonors God. In this context, he's talking about sexual immorality because of the society that they lived in. But we live in a similar day today, assailed on every uh, side, in our homes, on our computers, in our workplace, in the media. It, it, we are bombarded and we're, we are, we're being stretched in every way. There are inevitable consequences, I'll say it again, of behavior which dishonors God. I remember many years ago when teaching on a series on this, I listed down some of the things that would happen in my life, the consequences of me having an immoral affair. And I'm going to list them to you today. First of all, there would be the dishonor caused to the Savior who laid down his life for me. My wife and children and grandchildren shattered, maybe an unplanned child, maybe an STD, the people I led to Christ in my church and pastored for over 30 years, disillusioned, the community of people who have no faith as yet, and I've been sharing Christ with them for many years, confused, bewildered, my wider family, shamed, my ministry destroyed and the friends and colleagues I've worked with silenced, the testimony of our church undermined across the globe. And it doesn't matter whether you're married or not married, or maybe you're going with someone or you're engaged to someone. You know, as a young man living in Northern Ireland, I was aware of my own weaknesses and of others. But Priscilla and I went out for seven years. Honestly, I wouldn't recommend it. It was a real stretch. But we restrained ourselves because why? Because we never wanted to do anything which would bring dishonor on the name of God and dishonor our family. You think that's a very old-fashioned thing. That's what Paul says. Paul talks about that. He says, he said, listen, live to please God. What is pleasing to God? That you live a sanctified and a pure life. Can we do that today? Is it possible? Is, 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 it, can, is that possible in the 21st century? 
There's something incredible about a prophetic community who live differently, not because they're superior to everybody else, but because they genuinely have a different set of values because of who they are. You see, our prophetic words to our society are only as powerful as the life of the prophetic community from which they come. We've got nothing to say to our world on purity if there's impurity in the church. And some of you today, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not pointing the finger, I'm saying I'm not immune from this myself. I have to daily watch myself. But some of you today are thinking, your mind is going in places that you, you know I shouldn't be going there. You're watching stuff that you shouldn't be watching. You're thinking about having an affair. Some of you will be having an affair. It's really sobering when God says, it's my will and I've given you the power to enable you to live in a way that honors me. How many of us want to live in a way that honors God? I, 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 honestly, I've, I've been on the surf for 66 years. I want to finish strong. I, I want to live in a way that honors God for the rest of my life. So let's live this on mind that when, in our minds that when you live right before God and people, what do you do? You bring unstoppable honor to God. Number, thank you. Number five, he talks about the, I've called it the honor of unstoppable love. He mentions their love for one another. And of course, in particular, he talks about defrauding your brothers and sisters. Well, he puts it like this in verse six. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And, and it's a really fascinating thing. You say, well, what is he talking about? Well, what, he, what he's saying is this, and he says it in another place as well. He says, look, if you really love your brother or sister in Christ, and this is as blunt as this, you won't want to sleep with their husband or their wife. That's the point. New Testament holiness is at its core about how you treat God and how you treat each other. I come from a background where in Northern Ireland, it was, holiness was defined by what you didn't do. You didn't do this, you didn't do that. You didn't go here, you didn't go there. You didn't smoke this, you didn't watch that. But of course, New Testament Christianity is about your relationship with God is so strong, is something has happened in it. And it's how you treat God, you honor God, but that results in you honoring each other. How do you do that? You don't want to defraud your brother or sister. You don't want to harm them in any way. In other words, I'm not gonna sleep with your wife because I love you. I'm not gonna sleep with your husband because I love you. It's a mark of New Testament Christianity. In, the, in uh, Romans, Paul talks about the, the laws summed up in this. And he, he said this, love your neighbor as yourself. But when Jesus is asked the same question, he says, uh, when he's asked the question, how do you sum the law up? He's, he sums it up in two. He says, well, you love, your, you love the Lord God, your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. Why does Paul not mention the first one? Uh, and Jesus did. Well, I think the answer is this. The test of whether you love God is how you treat other people. You see, people, a lot of people say, no, I'm a Christian, I love God. But the real acid test of that is how you love other people. And that's what Paul's point is. He says, listen, if we love each other, then we're not going to bring dishonor upon God's name. So he talks about unstoppable love. And I think, I think it's important. Treat people badly, either by sleeping with their husband or wife, it's a demonstration of your relationship with the Lord himself. Let's be people who give themselves to unstoppable love for each other. And finally, 
He talks about unstoppable service, the honor of unstoppable service. I, I, honestly, Paul incorporates so much in these few verses. He talks about, um, uh, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. Paul, you know, the social order of the day, the social norms of the day, where Paul is silent on many of them because he doesn't want the gospel to be hindered in any way. But what you find is when you read the epistles, he undermines the social culture and norms of the day by what he says and the way he says them. The people in Thessalonica have suffered incredible persecution. They're gossiping the gospel. Why? Because the exclusive claims of Christ are, are an offense to Rome and a threat to Rome. You see, it's all right for you to say, I found Jesus is my way. As long as you accept that crystals are another way, you try and say Jesus is exclusively the way to God in our society today. It's exactly the day they were living in. How do they remain steadfast in their faith, in their purity, and they're witness in a hostile world. Paul subverts the whole culture of the day. Number one, Greek culture despised the gospel of the cross. And to them, it was foolishness. So when he presented Christ and him crucified, people thought, you are crazy. It was an offense to Greek culture of the day. Christian morality was equally despised. Sex in those days was a bodily act. It was like having a meal. It was a physical act. It had no more effect on you than simply and having fish and chips, if you want to put it like that. But of course, Paul makes it clear that it's just when you join yourself with someone, there's a spiritual aspect to it as well. And Paul calls them, what does he call them to do? To holy living. Now, Greek culture despised manual labor. They, they kept slaves. But God, in this passage, gives dignity to our work. It's good to work. We had a savior who's a carpenter, a disciple who, disciples who were fishermen, and Paul was a tent maker. And so he elevates work to a level in which Greek culture would not have. And it's incredible. Most of you, are involved. I call it proper jobs. I had a proper job for 18 years. And it's before I became a pastor. I'm being facetious, of course. But people say to me, Paul, well, those, uh, I'm sure you were constantly hankering after going to be a pastor. You know something? Uh, for a year, I really missed it because I connected with people that I have never, I, I, in a way that I, I have never been able to connect with them as a pastor. When you work nine to five with people, you get to know them. Something happens. And Paul, he elevates work. He says, listen, in another place in Colossians, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever you put your hand on, do it with all of your might. Give it your best shot. Don't hanker back. Be the best stamp liquor that you can be. Be the best, best shelf filler that you can be. There's something about giving yourself and the whole idea of work. And, and Paul, of course, he, the idea of a quiet life, you say, well, what does that mean? It's the idea of rest and calm and, and satisfaction. You, you, in other words, it's not that you're immune from the things that go on in life. Of course we're not. But in the midst of them, we have Christ as our anchor. I used to say this, sometimes life sucks, but God's good all the time. Do you understand? There's an idea of that, that you, not that you sail through, you glide through life. There's something very powerful about having Christ as your Savior. Whatever crisis comes, you can say, I need help here, Lord. I, you know, I know who I am in Christ. I, I'm, I'm struggling here. But you, what you find is you, you go through it and you go, you settle something in your heart that God is on the throne and has never been off the throne. He tells them to mind their own business. It's a real challenge this year because we've all got political opinions. 
And especially if you're on social media, you find people expressing them. Uh, personally, I, I, my daughters have been really good to me. They say, Dad, there's the line and there's you. But I, honestly, I don't want to ignore the big social issues of the day, but I do want to keep reminding myself that my primary calling is to be a witness to the testament and testimony of the grace of God and mercy for people in our broken world. I don't want to distract them or hurt them in any way. I want to connect before I correct. I want to be somebody who says, God's grace is for you. I had a great example of that recently. I was getting my hair cut. Don't you laugh, Okay. I was getting it shaved and my hairdresser said, my shoulder's really painful. She was actually crying. And just one of those ones I felt the Lord say, you need to pray for before you leave today. I was praying, there was nobody around. And I said, Donna, uh, I'm gonna pray. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And she said, well, say a wee prayer for me. That's a wee, we in Northern Ireland, it can be a car or it can be something small, okay? It just, you just use it, okay? You're a wee car. All right, it doesn't mean anything. So she said, she, and I said, no, I'll pray for you now. So I, I, I stood face to face. Her colleague was there, put my hand on her left shoulder. And I, and I just felt the Lord prompt me to say, Donna, the Lord isn't disillusioned with you because he had no illusions with you to begin with. And she burst into tears. I said, you think that this is a punishment because of the way you lead your life, but it's not. God is for you and not against you. Knows everything about you. And he still loves you and has a plan for your life and wants you to get to know his son. She's sobbing by this stage. She says, he made me cry. But I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say to you is this. We get opportunities with people every day to connect with them, to touch their lives, particularly in the issue of praying for them. It's not a good idea to go in and say, you're, as I used to do with my mother when I became a Christian, I used to write notes and slip them under her pillow. My favorite was, seriously, when I was 16, be sure your sin will find you out. And honestly, it didn't go down well, okay? It did not go down well. It was when I began to tell her that God loved her that things began to change. Let's, let's, take every, let's take every opportunity to affirm that God loves people and wants to invade their life with his love and with his grace and with his mercy. And so the highest calling in life is to serve God wherever you are, with all of your strength, with all of your might. In fact, Matthew 5, 16 says this, let your light so shine before others that they might see your good works, see how you live your life, honoring God, living to please God, rooted in Christ, loving each other. And what happens? They will glorify your Father who is in heaven. What an incredible privilege we have living in these days, 21st century, to be a light and a testimony to our nation. By how? By being rooted in Christ, developing our relationship with Christ, why? Because we want to honor God. May God make us a people who honor him and live differently because of that. Not to get that, but because of that. And as a result, it affects all of our lives, 24 hours a day. May God's spirit anoint you, bless you, touch you in an incredible way. In Jesus' name, amen.